Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. It's good to be in the midst of the Christmas season. Thank you so much for all of you who brought in toys for us to take down to the the church planting network in Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, We've taken them toys before last uh, last winter. We couldn't cross the border. And so they're so thankful that we're coming down with carloads full of toys. And I I gotta I gotta admit, I'm I'm stunned. We have we have piles and piles of toys. Here at the Valley Center campus, we have piles at the Glendora campus. We've got some great volunteers who've uh, stepped forward to drive those down on Monday. Uh, thank you so much for all of you who far exceeded my expectations in bringing those in. The, the kids uh, in Tijuana are going to love that. You have made uh, a lot of kids happy for Christmas. So thank you for doing that. And it, and it makes the churches down there, it, it makes them have, have a stronger impact in their neighborhood. Because they're not going to give them away and say, oh, this is, this is from America. They're going to say, this is from the church. And so their church reaches out to their neighborhood through uh, the giving of Christmas gifts for kids in the neighborhood who might not otherwise uh, get one. And so thank you so much for taking part in that. That was really beautiful. Hey, I've got a Christmas gift for you. Uh, you already heard about this, but I want to make sure you understand it, especially for those of you who listen on the podcast and just fast forward right through the announcements and don't you skip all that stuff. Uh, we have a new app at the church, and I want to give that to you as a Christmas gift. So go to reallife.la slash app. APP, and download our new app. You can go ahead and delete the old one. If you had the old app, delete the old one, get the new one. Uh, the old one's not going to be filled with fresh information anymore. Uh, where that, one's, that one's done. So get the new one. Uh, it's got sermon notes, sermon podcasts. If you want to give to the church because you love the church, you can give through the app. There's, a, there's now access to the Bible directly through the app. Our old app didn't have that. You can uh, get all the news and notes of stuff that's going on in the church. So download the app right now, reallife.la slash app. Now, I know somebody out there is sitting there saying, I'm not going to do it. I don't like technology. I, and I, I know every family has one of those. Sometimes it's generational. There's like, a, there's like a grandma, and she's very sweet, but she doesn't want anything to do with technology, so she holds out against it. And when you try to, like, coax her into it, she gets a little, she gets a little defensive. And, and, you know, she says those kinds of things that, that grandmothers say when they get a little nervous about the fact that they don't know how to use technology. They say things like, I'm from the USA. Why do I need a USB? Why should I settle for the USB when I'm from the USA? Okay, grandma, that's fine. But download the app. You'll use it. You'll love it. It's easy. Reallife.la slash app. Uh, go get it. You'll like it. Uh, and there you go. Um, hey, uh, on a, on a year-end note, as we approach the end of December... Thank you for your graciousness and your generosity through the course of this year. Uh, this has been a remarkable year in all kinds of ways. Uh, the, the church budget has been healthy and strong and has stayed in the black. Uh, we were given a, a property in Glendora. Uh, you know, uh, that's just a phenomenal gift. That's more than we could have ever expected or asked for. Um, here's the budgetary challenge. Uh, the preschool that we inherited through most of the year was only able to operate at at 25% occupancy, it, it couldn't bring in as many kids as it, as it did before the pandemic. So the, the preschools had to operate in the red through the course of most of the year. It's now operating on a balanced budget, but it's, it took a little bit of a windfall this year. 
Uh, and so your year-end gifts help us to, to, to make that up and to, to plan our ministries well for the coming year. Uh, the church is, is doing well financially, but we appreciate your generosity and your gracefulness. So prayerfully consider remembering Real Life Church in your year-end giving. Uh, if, if you'd like to support us, just go to reallife.la. You'll see a button that says give and you can give there. Uh, that's probably the fastest and easiest way to do it. Uh, God bless you for your generosity. We appreciate it. We're going to continue in our series now uh, called Remembering Christmas. Remember Christmas because we go through this big holiday every year and we go through it with familiarity and we do the same kinds of things and we have the same kinds of parties and we sing the same songs. But sometimes in the midst of all that repetition, we forget the power of the holiday. And so today I want to remember Christmas again. And, and today specifically, I want us to remember whom God invited to the manger. Because we read the story, but we forget, we forget. God chose who to bring. And he could have brought someone else. I mean, we, we put these manger scenes together in our yard or on our mantelpiece, and we forget God chose those people to be there. There were lots of other people he could have invited. The angels could have appeared all over the place and invited people to the manger. But I want to remember who he invited. And what that says to us. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you invite us to the manger. I thank you that we have the privilege to stand that where we do not belong in the presence of a holy God, the creator of the universe, the one who made us and who died for us. And yet you call us to be there. We don't deserve it, but you invite us in. You call us friends. You call us children. And so I thank you that we can stand in your presence and just know how much you love us. Know how much you cherish us. God, give us lives worthy of the calling. Give us deep faith that we might live holy for you. Forgive those places where we have been broken and run away from you. Set us free to new life. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. As we approach Christmas, as we approach Jesus' birthday, I was thinking about birthdays and how every culture has celebrated them. It, it's, it's very common when a child is born early on in the, the first year of a child's life for people to, to pray blessings over the child or, or maybe make prophetic predictions about the child's future, to pray over what's coming in that child's life. In the Jewish culture of the first century world, in the world of Jesus, Prophets would prophesy over a child and, and talk about the, the gifts that God would bring to the world through that child. In, a, in a, the American culture today, we, we do a kind of a, a birthday uh, a, a prophetic wishing for the coming year, right? You've been told since you were a kid, make a wish and blow out the candles. Uh, it doesn't work because I've been blowing out candles for half a century and I still don't have a life-size version of the Millennium Falcon. There's always next year, I guess, but it doesn't work. But, but it's sort of a, a prophetic ex expectation at the birthday for things that are to come. There's a, a popular one in the Korean culture called Doljabi, which they celebrate on the, the one year, the first birthday of the child, the one year birthday of the child. And they do this, this kind of adorable thing where they, they place the child on the floor. And, you know, at one year old, maybe the child is crawling. Maybe the child's just reaching out and grabbing things. But they, they put the child on the floor and then they put different things, different objects in front of the child and see which one they look and wait to see which one the child grabs. They put a pencil in front of the child and that represents intelligence and scholarship. They put a, a string on the floor in front of the child, and that represents 
long life. And of course, they'll put a little money on the floor in front of the child. And if the child grabs that, that uh, prophesies that the child will live a rich life. And so they do this and it's really just kind of merrymaking. It's just kind of fun and traditional. And they, they put these out and then the, the family cheers for which one they want most. And they, they look to see which one the child will, will grab. Well, I want to suggest that at the birth of Jesus, there's a, a prophetic event that happens that most of us have missed. We, we, don't, we read this in the scriptures every year, but we, we don't see it for what it is. Those who are invited to the manger scene are a prophetic expectation for what the life of Jesus is to be. I'll show you what I mean. Grab your Bibles, open with me if you would. We're going to read a couple different passages here. Uh, and we're going to start with Luke chapter 2 at verse 8. We're going to look at the first group that was invited to be at the manger scene. Luke chapter 2 at verse 8. Listen to the word of God. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. God invited shepherds to the manger scene. And we're so used to saying it, we forget how weird that is. Shepherds were not respected. Shepherds were not appreciated. The philosopher Aristotle described shepherds among all the other professions. And he said, shepherds are the laziest. The laziest are shepherds who lead an idle life and get their subsistence without trouble from tame animals. Their flocks wandering from place to place in search of pasture. They are compelled to follow them, cultivating a sort of living farm. You don't invite a shepherd to see a newborn baby. If these guys had shown up in the neonatal unit at the hospital, the nurses would have walked around pinching their noses. They smelled like farm animals, and they weren't trusted. They took a kind of lazy job where they just sit around and watch animals that aren't much trouble. These aren't the kinds of people that you invite to see a king. If this group of guys showed up at an inauguration, security would be called. These aren't the kinds of people whom God had to invite. There were prophets living in the day. There were religious leaders and teachers who were well respected. The angels surely could have appeared in front of them and said, come and see the one who is born king of the Jews. It's not just that the shepherds were close by because the magi come from far away. God has chosen for shepherds to be there. I don't think that's an accident. Check this out. This is fascinating. God calls shepherds to the side of the bed of the newborn Messiah. Because when this baby reaches out, it will not grab a pencil to become a scholar. It will not grab the string of long life. It certainly will not grab money to become rich. When Jesus, the baby, reaches out to grab an object that prophetically describes his life, he grabs the shepherd's crook. I think shepherds were called to the manger because Jesus was the Messiah shepherd. Remember Psalm 23, probably the most famous of all the Psalms, the Psalm written by King David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside 
Still waters, he leads me to green pastures, he restores my soul. David, as a shepherd, looked out over the sheep and realized that just as he cared for these innocent, vulnerable beings, so God watched over David and cared for him. Jesus would go on to call himself the good shepherd, a good shepherd who spent his life seeking after lost sheep. I think the shepherds are called to the manger as a symbol and spiritual sign of what's to come. Now flip in your Bible over to Matthew chapter 2. The two Gospels that capture the Christmas story as we celebrate it every year are Matthew and Luke. Mark starts much more abruptly and John starts far more philosophically. But Luke and Matthew capture the familiar stories of our Christmas manger scenes. And in Matthew chapter 2, at verse 1, we see who else was invited to the bedside. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Remember, I told you last week, I, I think what the Magi saw <clears throat> was the alignment of Venus, the planet Venus, and, and Venus which the planet was called back then, was, was named after the fertility goddess, the goddess of birth. Jupiter, which was the king of all the gods, the head god, and so Jupiter was called the king of the planets, and a star within the constellation of Leo. And Leo was a lion, which was the sign of Judah. So Venus, born, Jupiter, the king, Leo, the lion, of the Jews, born the king of the Jews. And so, so the Magi are astrologers who have put these pieces together to figure out that something significant has happened. And they go on this long journey seeking after a God who is not their own. King James likes to translate this, the wise men came. But the, the Greek doesn't say wise men. The Greek says Magi, and it's best translated magicians. I think King James translated it wise men because he didn't want people to have David Copperfield and Penn and Teller in their manger scenes. These are magicians. These are sorcerers. These are people who used alternative kinds of spirituality to find their ways to the manger scene. And yet, they get it right. They end up in the right place. And I want you, I want you to think about this. They didn't just find their way there, I think God called them to be there. What kind of sign could that be? What kind of spiritual sign is it that magicians from another religion are called to come and honor the one who is born, the Messiah of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God? The Jewish people always before had, had said that outside religions are, are a pollutant, the prophet Elijah had gone around knocking down the, the poles and the altars of all the false gods and destroying them. The Jewish people would, would never welcome in other religions. So what does it say that God is calling magi, who are perhaps Zoroastrian, to come and see the birth of the Messiah? I think this is the sign that God intends. Acts chapter 17, verses, verse 27 says that God has arranged the world the way he has so that we will reach out for him and perhaps find him 
because he is not far from any one of us. And when there are lost sheep out there in the world, people who have been born into the wrong religious systems, people who have been born into wrong ideas or broken families, but who long for a God who will save them, God eagerly calls them to his side. And if we will reach out for him and pursue him, he is not far from any one of us. It does not matter what kind of life you have lived, what kind of paths you have gone down. Jesus wants you to come and to join him. So get this. God calls to the manger, to the birth of the Messiah, shepherds, and lost sheep. These are the signs of who Jesus is to become. Now, here's my punchline today. Here's my bottom line. I want you to make Jesus your shepherd. I want you to choose to say, I know I can't do life well on my own. I need somebody else to lead me. I have made messes. I have brought brokenness into the world. I need a shepherd, and I want Jesus to be my shepherd. That's my bottom line. And if you make that decision today, you let me know, and we'll go, up, go outside and fill up our heated in-ground baptismal in the courtyard, and we'll baptize you. Because when you choose to make Jesus your shepherd, that's the day you become a Christian. That's the day you become a follower of Jesus. That's the day you begin your life of discipleship. And baptism is that sign that you've stepped across that line. It's a declaration to the community. God has washed away the old me and God is making me new. I was lost, but now I'm found. Uh, that would be the best Christmas gift you could give to Jesus if you made that decision right now. That's my bottom line. That's what I'm after. But I want you to know what you're in for. If you decide to make Jesus your shepherd, that means four things. First of all, it means he died for you. That's why we call him Savior. When, when we make Jesus our shepherd, we believe that he died for us. Jesus would say in the last week of his life, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, when we... When we live life on our own terms, when we push God away, when we sin, when we choose our, our own way instead of his, we reject the creator and sustainer of life. And logically, the consequence of rejecting the creator of life should be death. It, it only makes good sense that when we push away the one to whom life belongs, the one who holds life in his hands. When we push him away, the consequence should be death. We deserve to die. And yet God put in place in the ancient Jewish world, a system in which the Jewish people could go to the temple and take an animal and present it to be sacrificed on the altar. And that, that animal dying in the place of the person who had sinned became a graphic object lesson of the consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death. Death is the payment for sin. And yet, God spared us the death we deserved by creating this, this system of atonement in which Jewish people could take animals from their herds to be sacrificed. Now, I want you to try to look at the, the world from the perspective of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy going to Jerusalem with his mom and his dad for what was the most important of the Jewish holidays. 
In America, I think Christmas is the most important holiday. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Everybody knows Christmas is the biggest one. After that, in the Christian calendar, Easter. Christmas and Easter are the two big ones. In the, in the American culture, I think it's Christmas and Halloween, which is weird. But in the Jewish culture, one holiday was clearly the most important. And it was called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement in which you made sacrifices to atone for your sin. Imagine Jesus as a 12-year-old boy walking towards the city of Jerusalem and seeing the plumes of smoke rise above it as animals were sacrificed to appease God. Imagine him moving into the temple courts and smelling the, the smell of the cooking meat. Imagine him as a little boy, 12 years old, seeing the animals in this, this bloody sacrifice and being taught as a child our sins deserve this, but the animals are sacrificed for us. I mean, imagine what that would do to the mindset of a 12-year-old boy. I remember when I was 12 years old, seeing another kid step on a nail and seeing that nail come through his foot. You'd never forget something like that. Imagine Jesus seeing these animals being sacrificed and being taught. This is to pay for our sins. I'd send you to therapy as my guess. Now imagine Jesus 20 years later in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, God, I don't want to go through this. But Father, your will be done, not mine. The God of all creation, our shepherd, joined us the sheep. So as to become our shepherd, to lead us through this life, and at the end of his life, he again became a sheep, putting himself in our place to take the punishment that we deserve by dying on the cross. The Lord of all creation became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you make Jesus your shepherd, that's the first thing that happens. You realize he gave his life for you. Secondly, when we choose to follow Jesus, we put Jesus in charge of our lives. Jesus knows better than we do how life should go. And so we call him our Lord. We call him the, the Lord of our lives and the Lord of creation. We give him the, the authority to guide our lives. I actually remember in seminary, there was a, a guy who was with me in seminary who had been an actual shepherd, who had worked on a farm and who had been an actual shepherd. And so I was always asking him questions about Shepherding, because I knew one day that would be a sermon illustration, and here it is. He, I remember him saying, his name was George. George said to me one day, he says, he says, Jim, I've never seen a shepherd stop and ask the sheep for directions. Because God doesn't ask the sheep for directions. God is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. And that means we make him our Lord. He decides where our lives go. We surrender our lives and our will to him. We, we ask him, what do you want me to do for a living? Where do you want me to spend my time? What do you want me to do with my money? Whom should I spend my life with? We surrender those questions to Jesus because he is our shepherd. He is our Lord. And if that possibility makes you nervous, look at the story of real life church. The story of this church is starting to read to me like a fairy tale. If somebody had told me this, I would assume it was made up. We were founded by surprise. 
We landed a property by surprise that we didn't know existed. In the midst of a pandemic where everything is falling apart, we were given buildings. Uh, within a week of us being given that building, uh, someone called and offered to help us buy this building. And it, that turned out to be a half a million dollar matching fund that's been set up. And, and literally, as I was sitting on a pew in this building, praying that Jesus would help us make it our own. The bank called and told us, you're probably not going to have to put any money down on a loan because somebody already gave you the Glendora property. I couldn't have predicted all that. I couldn't have lined any of that up. And, and look at the fruit of our, our church as we continue to do ministry. In the last six weeks, another four people have been baptized. And it's cold outside. And yet, God keeps blessing us as we follow. We didn't do that. We couldn't do that. And we didn't have to. Because he's the good shepherd. All we have to do is obey. If you make Jesus your shepherd, one, it means he died for you. Two, it means he's in charge. Three, if Jesus is your shepherd, it means Herod is not. Herod wants to be the shepherd. Remember, Herod, in the Christmas story, said to the Magi, go and find the Christ child and tell me where he is so I can go worship him. Well, he didn't want to worship Jesus at all. He wanted to wipe Jesus out because he couldn't have rivals to his authority coming up through the ranks. Christians throughout history have missed this story. We've forgotten it and we need to remember don't ever let Herod be your shepherd. Those Christians who have recklessly made the Herods of the world their shepherds have turned away from the true shepherd. Don't ever take Jesus' crown and place it on the head of a Herod. Don't ever place it on the head of a pastor. Don't put it on your own head. If Jesus is our shepherd, we don't need to go around taking power in the world. We only need to trust him because even when we walk through the darkest valley, he comforts us. Even when we stand in the presence of our enemies, he prepares a table for us. We don't need to take power over this world. We don't need a Herod to do it for us. We just need Jesus to be our shepherd. When we make Jesus our shepherd, we confirm that he died for us. We make him our Lord we turn away from making the, the Herods of the world uh, our shepherds. And then finally, fourthly, when you make Jesus your shepherd, it means you're becoming an apprentice shepherd. Uh, and that means you do the kinds of things that Jesus does. The things that Jesus has done in your life, you do for other people. And we're doing that right here as a church. Here at Real Life Church, we've done this. Uh, uh, Jesus has given us land uh, out of nowhere. It's exactly like what happens in the, in the book of Joshua. In Joshua 24, God says this, I gave you land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your false gods, your ancestors worshiped and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors or the gods of the surrounding culture in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, this is Joshua speaking, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you make Jesus your shepherd, you're an apprentice shepherd, and you do what Jesus has done. And so Jesus has provided for a real life church buildings that we bid, bid not, 
buildings that we did not build and vineyards that we did not plant. And so when one of the less than 200 Japanese Christian congregations in the country called and said, we don't have a place to meet anymore because of the pandemic, we took them in for free and didn't charge them anything. We were given buildings that we did not build, and we will share buildings with people who have not paid for them. Jesus sent his disciples out into the world to do ministry, and he said, freely you have received, freely give. And what the shepherd does, the apprentice shepherds do as well. We carry that forward in all aspects of our lives. Whatever Jesus has done for us, we do for others. This means that when we are at work or when we are at school, we are no longer just co-workers or fellow students. We are apprentice shepherds in the place that God has placed us. And we love other people the way God has loved us. We don't seek to get revenge on them. We forgive when they do not deserve it because we have been forgiven when we did not deserve it. As apprentice shepherds, we do what the shepherd did. Um, I saw this in kind of a, a little uh, cute way uh, recently. Um, I uh, uh, was uh, talking to a, a guy uh, that, I, that I met because my, my son during the pandemic, uh, my 14-year-old son decided he was going to build his first PC, build a computer at home. I'm so proud of him. He got all the parts. He figured out how they went. He wired it up. I couldn't do this myself, but he did. He built his own PC. And in the process, we had a couple extra parts left over. So I went on some online site to sell them just to get them out of the house. And a guy uh, called and offered to buy uh, an extra motherboard that we had. And he gave us kind of a low ball offer. And I said, that's fine. I'm just glad to get rid of it. And he came and picked it up and, and paid us for it. The next day he called and he said, uh, yeah, it doesn't work. And uh, at that point, you know, you become a little bit of a CSI detective. You're like, well, clearly I had not taken it out of the box, so it must have been established. So clearly this is a, a con and you're running some kind of a scam and I don't owe, owe you anything. You, know, you go through that in your head, but that's not what I said to him. Uh, he said, uh, yeah, it doesn't work. And I said, okay, well, let me give you your money back. <clears throat> and he was caught off guard by how fast I said it. And he started to say, well, I know from your perspective, maybe you think that I broke it and it was fine when you gave it to me. And I said, no, 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 here's my perspective. I'm a pastor. I don't care that much about money. Let me just give you your money back. And at the other end of the phone, this guy goes, huh. And at that moment, it went from being a transaction to being a potential for, of, of being something sacred. When, when, we're called, when, when we call Jesus our shepherd, we become apprentice shepherds. And when the shepherd says, don't love money, and he models to us not loving money, we live the same way. We live lives that mimic the shepherd because we are his apprentices. We are attempting to live life on his terms the way, uh, the way, he, the way he lived it. Uh, I know in my life, uh, on a daily basis, I am an apprentice shepherd of Jesus. And so are you. So do what Jesus did. As you gather around the manger this Christmas season, you, you go to the side of a Messiah who called to himself shepherds and lost sheep. Those were symbols of what his life was to be. When you, when you choose to follow him, you're saying, that's what you want. I want him to be my shepherd. And I want to be a shepherd pursuing lost sheep. 
I'm not going to live a life of self-indulgence. I'm not going to live a a life of trying to take power. I'm going to live a life of loving lost sheep in his name. So that around the manger, more and more might gather. This week, in your heart, pray over who it is that Jesus wants you to love in this season. Maybe somebody that you invite to a Christmas Eve service. Maybe somebody that you go and care for because they're in need. But if you're going to call him your shepherd, it means you're an apprentice shepherd. Go love lost sheep. And let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for for being our shepherd, for watching over us and for protecting us, for caring for us when we would get ourselves in worse messes. Thank you for loving us in our ignorance and our willfulness. Now put in our hearts a spirit of shepherding. Put in our hearts a desire to love those who are lost, who may not be far away from you, but who do not know you. Put us on their paths so that while following in your footsteps, we can join in leading them to green pastures and still waters. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.